You're listening to the Fourth Estate. Today is 22nd June, Monday. In this episode's reporter's diary, we discuss with experts how well equipped is the mental health care system in India, especially during the coronavirus pandemic. But before that, here's a fortnightly news capsule. On the night of 15th June, at least 20 Indian soldiers were killed in physical fights with Chinese forces in a disputed Himalayan region of Ladakh. It was the first fatal clash since 1975. There have been other violent hand-to-hand clashes in this area since the 2017 Doklam standoff. But this time, it turned more violent with China using more lethal weapons, stones, boulders, rocks wrapped with barbed wire and wooden logs studded with nails. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Jean Lejean said in a statement on Friday that the Galwan Valley is located on the Chinese side of the line of actual control or LAC. In a series of tweets, Jean said that Indians had since April unilaterally built roads, bridges and other facilities in the region. The statement contradicts Indian Foreign Minister S. Jay Shankar, who had earlier said that the fighting erupted after the Chinese side sought to erect a structure in Galvan Valley on our side of the LAC. Prime Minister Narendra Modi on Friday appeared to downplay the incident in a public address, denying there had been any incursion into Indian territory. The Ministry of External Affairs on Saturday said the position with regard to Galvan Valley area has been historically clear and China's claims aren't in accordance with its own past position. After receiving the drug controller's nod, Glenmark Pharmaceuticals on Saturday launched antiviral drug Favipiravir under the brand name Fabiflu. Priced at 103 rupees per tablet, Fabiflu is the first oral antiviral drug for the treatment of mild to moderate COVID-19. In other news, Hyderabad-based pharma company Hetero on Sunday said it has got regulatory not to manufacture Remdesivir for the treatment of COVID-19. Its generic version of Remdesivir will be marketed under brand name Covifor in India. Covifor will likely be priced at 5,000 to 6,000 rupees for a 100 mg dose, Reuters reported. As many as 55 journalists have been targeted for covering the pandemic in India between 25th March, when the lockdown was first imposed, and 31st May, shows a report by a Delhi-based think tank. The Rights and Risks Analysis Group conducts risk analysis to prevent violations of human rights and fundamental freedoms. With 11 cases, Uttar Pradesh leads the list of states with maximum number of attacks on media persons, followed by six in Jammu and Kashmir, five in Himachal Pradesh, four each in Tamil Nadu, West Bengal, Odisha and Maharashtra, two each in Punjab, Delhi, Madhya Pradesh and Kerala, and one each in Andaman and Nicobar Islands, Arunachal Pradesh, Assam, Bihar, Chhattisgarh, Gujarat, Karnataka, Nagaland and Telangana. According to the World Health Organization, India is the most depressed country in the world, followed by China and the US. Several studies suggest the physical spread of a disease can be halted through isolation, but there's no saying what effects it will have on mental health. Joining me to understand mental health care during COVID-19, Kamna Chibar of Otis Healthcare, Ishita Gupta of Breakthrough Counseling, and Kunal Kala of Circle of Life. Kamna, 
I would like to first ask, what are the COVID-19 related cases that have emerged and is there adequate provision for those suffering from it? So if you look at um, mental health related concerns, it's very important to understand that uh, in any case, 13.7% of the population if you look at it from an epidemiological perspective, has mental health-related issues. And this entire pandemic, the lockdown, has perhaps uh, led many more people to experience difficulties with regards to their emotional well-being, with regards to their psychological well-being. People are facing extreme difficulties when it comes to their finances, uh, their homes, uh, managing their relationships. Um, looking at their job front, all of that. And somewhere that is certainly increasing the stressors people are experiencing, which a lot of people on account of COVID um, have been looking at. One, of course, there's a lot of uh, concern around uh, health, uh, health not just of their own selves, but also of their family members, especially if they have more elderly people around them, or even when they have younger children around them, they're also concerned about their health. Uh, there are a lot of concerns around how children, adolescents are going to look at their future in terms of their academics, the entire online learning system, the curriculum uh, shifts are um, becoming somewhat challenging and when people are having to balance multiple roles uh, within their home integrate their workspace uh, with the home space there is a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, you know uh, difficulty which people are experiencing in trying to balance out those multiple roles keep drawing those boundaries uh, because you are you're having to move very fluidly from one role to the other sometimes you're the parent sometimes you're uh, uh, you know, you're, you're the employee, sometimes you're being a boss, sometimes you're being a mentor, sometimes you're having to uh, take over those chores within the household. So the, the, there's a lot which is going on which can be very difficult. And of course, on top of that, there is a lot of uncertainty uh, which is around us. There is no clarity around how long the illness is there for, whether there will be um, any solution anytime soon, whether we would be able to find uh, the medical answers to this pandemic, uh, to the virus anytime soon and that too is making people very nervous because this, living in this altered life uh, you know different from what norm, the normal has been typically is certainly very difficult and so there, there have been a lot of these kind of challenges which have cropped up which is in addition to whatever was pre-existing as well. Ishita would you like to add? I don't know if it's adequate simply because we don't have enough research around how do I deal with quarantine mental health? How do I deal with pandemic-related anxiety. And there, there have been a few good resources that uh, WHO has released and CDC has released. But I, I do feel like, again, because it's not very well researched, it's not very well practiced, we are still kind of fumbling our way around it. Um, one other concern is that you can't see any client face-to-face. -face. So that is, you know, um, that's something that is making things kind of tough is that some people need that kind of care. They need to see some a therapist in person and are not necessarily happy with, you know, online services. Kunal, would you like to add? Uh, I think it's not possible for there to be adequate provisioning. So if you just look at absolute numbers right. uh, in terms of our population, as it is, there are very few competent, qualified, good quality mental health professionals. So there's a very serious birth of it. Uh, so that's one side of it. Um, the second part of the thing is that in terms of organized interventions, 
So, for example, um, at Circle of Life, we worked with the Delhi government in making their happiness curriculum. Uh, what we did with Delhi government is make a curriculum where every day students do some activities so that they can actually become better at managing their stress and being happier. And um, uh, based on that, what we have been over the last two three years is we have a similar program for private schools. And so we have a bunch of schools that we work with where students do some mindfulness every day. We work with parents and teachers. And um, so what this is, is like a positive mental health intervention or a program. Um, so uh, so first point is there aren't enough professionals. Second point is there aren't enough programs. Yeah. Third point is that um, there isn't enough demand. So even if there were more professionals and there were more programs, um, because of um, slightly complicated concepts like lack of awareness and stigma, yeah. nobody wants to go to psychiatrists or psychologists. They think that uh, they're not mad or they're not that bad. Or isn't this because of my work or my boss being very uh, aggressive uh-huh. or my partner fighting me all the time? Um, so. In some ways, as human beings, we have a tendency to make sense of our worlds, which means that um, as we move through life, we have to attribute our emotions to something. So we have to, so obviously we feel sad or depressed or stressed or angry, but then we have to tell ourselves, oh, it's because of him or because of that or because of this situation, so... um, which then doesn't allow one to explore what it is that they could do differently, despite the fact that their partner is like that, or the boss is like that, or the world is in a lockdown. And um, so instead of internalizing those uh, uh, problems and thinking about what it is that I can do to manage this difficult person, even if it is somebody married to, one just keeps saying, it's because of him or it's because of her. And then, um, then they just sort of explain it away. And then they just say, oh, but if anybody had a wife like that, they would be really pissed off. And yeah. so my life is more different. So psychologists and I get all about that. Right. But how does one decide who needs urgent intervention and who doesn't? Kamna, would you like to answer first? Uh, so see, I think uh, there is no uh, objective yardstick or a metric which you can utilize to say it is urgent or this is the one person who would require uh, or who should absolutely immediately seek medical intervention. I think it is also about the experience of the other person, uh, the person who is going through those challenges and how difficult is it subjectively getting for them. And uh, we can't necessarily say that, you know, only X, Y, Z person should be the one receiving any kind of support. And I think the other additional factor is that are you someone who has support systems around you or not? And if you have very weak support systems, um, that certainly could become an impediment. And it would certainly warrant that if you are struggling, there are thoughts, there are feelings, there are emotions, which are getting difficult to manage. They keep on running in your mind and uh, they're interfering in what you need to do, then certainly seeking help is important. And help doesn't always have to come in the form of medical intervention. It does not have to come in the form of pure therapy. There are various other platforms which are also available, um, you know, uh, which includes helplines which people can reach out to. So we need to look at 
who would feel the most comfortable with what and that needs to get matched to them and uh, that is going to be perhaps an approach which would work best in a scenario like this Okay. because at the end of the day we also need to recognize that there is a dearth of professionals in our country uh, we have a very large population but we have a uh, very few professionals who are available so not everyone may be able to get to the expert uh, but there can be these other systems which can be utilized which would also be beneficial and uh, that is also something which needs to be looked at and families need to come together they need to support each other we should be willing to look at um, you know looking at turning to our friends family members other people around us who we feel will be able to listen to what's going on with us and support us in a way that works for us right the corona virus has already exposed flaws in our healthcare system doctors and healthcare workers on the front line are protesting against lack of ppes beds etc when it comes to mental health care how well equipped is the system in india ishita i think it is a completely broken system that we are dealing with honestly like i am not proud of the industry that i am part of because there is a there is a huge paywall right is that if if you cannot afford sessions uh, weekly sessions or every two week kind of sessions that are anywhere between 8 800 rupees to 3000 rupees per session and every week or every two weeks then you likely are not getting any kind of good health care most of the time when you do go to some some sort of affordable health care mm. like a government hospital you see a clinical psychologist there they are probably good professionals but they see like 50 people a day they'll see like 60 people a day and by function of time they are not able to devote um great services or good time to you not only that we are also the kind of training that a psychologist does in india right now is based entirely on western literature and western research so i am also applying these western rules to the indian context and there is a gap right like for instance if if you look at the adivasi the adivasi population and you talk about uh, a lot of adivasis get displaced from time to time right and uh, there is a decent amount of um anxiety and trauma related to that how am i going to sit someone down and explain to them about rational emotive behavioral therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy or transactional analysis which is what we are constantly using there are no english words for trauma and depression or anxiety right how do i explain a panic attack i think there are huge gaps and it needs to be worked on honestly by the government because they need to ensure that there is more quality education and and also they need to fund more research because the minute there is more research then we are allowed to translate this western literature into indian literature kunal there is no system of mental health in india uh, and you can see that from birth in some when a child is born yeah. um within the first few years uh, parents really struggle with parenting is this the case in india or other countries as well this in is india no nowhere else in the world is like like this mm. in most civilized countries and i spent a decade in the uk where before getting uh, before delivery you would be told that these are your parenting lessons and this is what you learn and then um, so there is lots more help um, so there is nothing about parenting starting at a young age there is nothing about mental and physical needs in children for parents parents don't know anything about how to manage their own stress yeah. and we feel all this will work with schools 
Um, teachers don't know how to manage difficult children. The workplaces don't know how to optimally engage uh, employees so that they can both have good mental health and better performance and productivity. See, I think uh, one needs to look at it on a spectrum. Uh, yes, we have a dearth of specialists. There's no doubt about it. If you look at statistics, uh, per hundred thousand uh, psychiatrists in India, it's about 0.4 uh, per hundred thousand. Internationally, I think it's somewhere around six per hundred thousand, and it's even lesser for psychologists. Um, there is no doubt about that, right? And that's a gap that will take a while to build. Uh, to bridge and uh, because it's going to take us that time we need to utilize whatever mediums we do have and whatever other professionals who we have available around us to be able to ensure that services are available to a larger number segment of the population so which is where say a lot of your uh, public private partnerships come into play which is where uh, your counselors the school counselors uh, all of them come into play uh there, there are a lot of specialists who can be providing uh services who are providing services and i think some of they help to bridge that gap to an extent but of course there is a lot of scope um uh, as far as that is concerned hmm. and i think if you're uh, looking at the affordability aspect i feel that um there are a spectrum of services available right i think we make a mistake when we start saying that you know uh x service is expensive i think it's available across a broad spectrum of uh, of of uh, monetary uh, uh, charges uh, that certainly is the case there are a lot of helplines which are run free of cost 24/7 uh, one of the helplines is something that is run by us we get about 150 calls on an average every day so those are all free services run by experts who are available 24/7 and they are available to give advice input strategies help you build skills also there are those things also which is not to say that yes it for anyone who is looking at long term treatment and therapy it could become a, a burden and yes uh, which is why when the mental health care act was uh, revamped and introduced recently a few years ago uh, one of the primary uh, aspects which was mentioned over there was to look at insurance for the mental health care sector yes. and so that the burden can be reduced and these are things which need to come together they haven't yet and i would hope that soon uh, those processes will also come into place which take care of the burden that individuals experience because they are having to um, you know utilize their own resources for it and they may not be necessarily supported at least to an extent by say insurance for this something which happens internationally otherwise not all people we see on the street are 100% okay most of them are battling depression and anxiety would it be correct to say that clinical depression is becoming the new normal kunal i think it's actually been the new normal for quite some time and i think what the crisis has done is perhaps taken it to a slightly different level where it becomes more topical uh, so i don't know if you've ever written about this 4 months ago or if you had a like some interest in the subject or this is something recent but i mean i certainly see a lot of both professionals and non-professionals talking about mental health today than they did a few months ago ishita as far as the statistics of depression itself go we have noticed a couple of things we have noticed not only a rise in people reporting it right so people who would previously go undiagnosed now reporting their depression mm-hmm. to uh, professionals but now also there are people 
who are developing depression or have worse symptoms of depression to me though i would say that if you are talking specifically of people like migrant laborers or the lower middle class or the lower class or marginalized communities like the dalit community Hmm. If you are looking at that specific demographic I would say that it is not just depression and it is not just anxiety and depression has been has been normal and has been a very has been a very big concern for a really long time I think we are only now beginning to talk about it I, I in fact I think that what most of the time we see in people who have access to less money and less resources and more importantly healthcare are in fact dealing with the effects of trauma and the effects of trauma interge- intergenerational trauma so like my parents suffered their parents suffered because we have historically been a poor family they will show symptoms of depression and anxiety they will show excessive worrying they will show suicidal ideation but we know now that anxious thought and depressive thought is a part of that trauma so i would actually say rather than looking at depression trauma is something we should be looking at because i think more people than we are aware of and than we are diagnosing are suffering from from it and dealing with it on a day to day basis kamna i wouldn't go that far hmm. to call it the new normal because somewhere then it also means that we are bringing in an acceptance to say that you know this is how it will be i think that's how the human mind operates as soon as you start normalizing something you also bring in an acceptance to say that this is what it is and this is what it is going to be like I think yes uh there is no doubt statistics very clearly say 300 million people around the world are affected by depression it's according to WHO the biggest uh, disease which is affecting human lives at this point in time no doubt about those 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 statistics it is certainly one of the largest concerns but i think it's also at the end of the day major depressive disorder is an illness and an illness can be treated the problem often times lies in our inability to be able to understand when the illness has, has has had an onset a lot of us are not aware of the signs and symptoms of the illness we don't necessarily recognize it we hesitate to identify it uh, we often believe that we may not be subjected to having this illness and uh, if it does occur you know in our lives then we feel there is a lot of stigma in seeking help in seeking treatment we see it as a sign of weakness and i think those are far bigger problems which uh, do not allow that an illness gets taken care of if we start treating mental health related problems just the way we would physical health related problems and we are willing to seek treatment we are willing to seek help and support then we will be able to take care of this almost like another epidemic which exists around us that of depression or or of any mental health illness great thanks for being on the show thank you tanya thank you it was a pleasure